Like yesterday, I included goldfish in a lunch picture. And I'm like, how long is it going to take before someone yells at me about the goldfish? You're listening to Burnt Toast. This is the podcast where we talk about diet culture, fat phobia, parenting, and health. I'm Virginia Soul Smith, and I also write the Burnt Toast newsletter. Today, I am chatting with fan favorite and my best friend, Amy Palangian. Amy is the creator of Yummy Toddler Food, the blog, and on Instagram and TikTok, as we'll talk about. She's also my former podcast co-host of the Comfort Food Podcast and a frequent flyer here on Burnt Toast, although it's been a minute since we had her on, so I figured it was time to bring her back for a chat. And we were having a really interesting conversation one day about the business of food blogging and specifically kid food blogging and the line she walks in trying to present realistic, relatable content, but also have people be aware that this is a business and this is how she makes a living and have that labor be somewhat visible. And it just struck me that, you know what, no one's ever asked Mark Bittman or insert any other male food writer here if they are making a living at the recipes they write, if that is a business. We know and understand it. But when women do it, and especially when moms do it, we act like they're just doing it for fun on Instagram and that it's not work. So I think it's a really interesting conversation that gets into that discussion and also broader themes about how we make domestic work visible and what happens when we do that. And we also talk a little bit about maintaining mom friendships, which is another favorite topic. So here is Amy, but first a quick break. Okay, it's time to read another one of your lovely notes. This is a review posted on Apple Podcasts by Chelsea. Chelsea writes, such a great podcast. Virginia Soul Smith is a much needed voice. She uncovers the myths of weight stigma and diet culture. I look forward to this podcast every week. Thank you, Chelsea. That means so much. I also look forward to this podcast every week, by which I mean recording it and then listening to the episode edits. <laughs> but yeah, I love making it. It really means a lot that you guys are responding to it. So please continue to tell me what you think of the show. You can leave a rating and review in your podcast player, which really helps folks find it. You can also post a comment on the episode transcript at virginiasoulsmith.substack.com. And if you want even more Burnt Toast, consider subscribing to the Burnt Toast newsletter. You can click the link in your episode description or go to virginiasoulsmith.substack.com. It's just $5 a month or $50 for the year. You also get full access to the Burnt Toast newsletter, which includes reported essays and my monthly Ask Virginia column. And you will become a part of the Burnt Toast community with commenting privileges and our super awesome Friday thread discussions. So go to virginiasoulsmith.substack.com to learn more. Hi, Amy. Thanks for being here. Hello. It's nice to have you back. It's been a little while. I was thinking that the last time we did this, we did a whole thing and one of our phones wasn't recording yeah. and we had to do it twice. Yep. Yep. We did. And you were really nice about that. <laughs> um, we will not do that today, I don't think. Um, but yeah, and you have moved house and been shooting your cookbook and like doing all of the things since you were last on. So we appreciate you taking the time. So Today, we are talking about the business of food blogging, and this conversation is inspired by a piece you wrote for your newsletter a little while ago where you came out a little bit <laughs> to your audience. We were like, guys, this is a business. Like, I'm a blogger, recipe developer, influencer, cookbook author. This is a business. I just want to start by saying it feels weird that you had to explain this to people. Like, my first thought in reading it was, 
Does Mark Bittman have to explain to people that he runs a business? I don't think so. There's like this assumption maybe that the recipes that I share are like a food diary that Mm -hmm. I'm like taking pictures of the food I'm making for my kids and then just like, oh, happening to share them. And I think that's the way that blogging started. (laughs) Many, many years ago, blogs were sort of diaries. And there are a lot of people on social media now that are sort of doing that. Like they don't have fleshed out websites. They're just sharing stuff on Instagram or TikTok. I think the assumption is, is like, oh, she just made this and she's sharing it with us. Mm -hmm. But it's funny because I'm like, most of the time I'm cooking for work. My children are not home. Mm Mm-hmm. I have a content calendar that is scheduled out many, many months ahead of time. I am doing almost nothing in real time because I can't. Like there's production time on shooting everything and writing all the content and doing all the videos. I have to be ahead of schedule because that's the way you run most businesses. You do. You do run them with a plan. You don't tend to just show up one day and be like, (laughs) hey, let's make some stuff. I think there are people that do that. But I run my website like we ran magazines where there's a whole plan behind it. I have gotten a lot of press of like, can you show the after plate? I'm like, well, I'm not going to sit there and videotape everything that my kids are eating. Right. Because A, that's a giant pain. And it's such a strange thing to do to a kid. It's a real invasion of privacy to be like, okay, eat dinner. I'm just going to be here cataloging whether you like it right. and what you and leave. Also, and, like yeah. how much my kids eat has no bearing on how much your kids eat. Totally. Like, yeah. It's a strange request for information because it's basically meaningless. Right. It's not actually going to be helpful for them. Yeah. They just either want some reassurance of like, oh, your kid doesn't eat it either. Or they want to like feel bad because your kid eats something that their kid won't eat. No good comes from these comparisons. And also like my kids don't eat everything that I make for the website. Because if I only shared recipes that my kids eat, like that would not be serving my population. (laughs) They are a sample size of three. (laughs) Right. I have enough food experience that I can taste a recipe and judge whether or not it's good (laughs) from a much different lens than my children can. That's another way I feel like the labor of all of this is made invisible is because you are writing recipes for kids there's an assumption that your children are the experts on your work as opposed to understanding that you develop recipes because you have years of experience developing recipes and you know what tastes good. This is your work. And again, when Mark Bittman, or I don't know why I'm going to him today, but we can insert any male food writer here, you know, when they're like, here's this amazing stew, you're not like, but did your wife like it? Like... (laughs) You know, like, did your friends eat it? Like, you just, you trust them when they say, like, this was amazing. I'm insulted on your behalf. The people are like, well, did Selway eat it? It's like, no offense, Selway, but it's not really your job. Yeah. I mean, that would be like a crazy way to to do what I do. (laughs) That would be like the most maddening way to have my website. (laughs) Right. Right. When your kid's going through the inevitable, like, only eats mac and cheese for six months. Like, what are you supposed to do? Right. For content, (laughs) just keep putting out mac and cheese recipes. Uh, It's very strange. I think all of us need to understand when we're consuming social media content, whether it's on blogs or on Instagram or TikTok, the amount of work that goes into producing those images. And I think that because it's images of domestic life, 
we assume that no work went into creating them. And that feels really devaluing of your professional work and of domestic life. Well, it's also like the questions, I haven't gotten this recently, but like, well, why do you need daycare if you work? <laughs> like, <laughs> but like, you're just, you're just cooking for your, um, like, well, why, why can't your kids just be home? Like, there was a lot of that, like during COVID, like, what's the big deal? Like, you're <laughs> like, oh my God. Uh, have you ever tried to write anything with a toddler, like on your leg? <laughs> oh my God. I'm just, um, I'm just. Yeah, yeah, edit photos. Like, right. I mean, the way your photos are like beautifully shot and like you're styling the plate, like you can't do that with a kid. Like, what? I know some people who have Instagram accounts who do it with their kids at home. And there's one person in particular who she like once a month will send me emails about how she's drowning and she can't do all the things. I'm like, but you have no childcare. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you're comparing your output to mine and I have full time childcare. Right. Because I've chosen that and you haven't and you have to like give yourself a break. It's yeah. completely not fair for people who are trying to do it while they're taking care of their kids to have this belief that they should be able to do all of the things. It's all very muddy. Yeah. And I think that's an example of the way these myths get perpetuated on Instagram both by the creators of the content and the viewers of the content. I'm not surprised someone thinks they can get into this work without needing childcare because that's an image that gets sold. Like, you are very transparent about having childcare, but that's not everybody. Like, there's plenty of influencers who aren't thinking the nanny or the daycare center or whatever and are sort of letting you believe that it's all happening with their kids in tow. And so then that sets women up to fail because... It's just not reality. Or you see like someone on TikTok who's making an income by just like posting videos, dancing with their babies. Mm -hmm. And you're like, well, well, I should be able to do that. Uh, I mean, TikTok in particular, because it pays people once you mm -hmm. have a certain number of followers, like it's really changed what's possible. But I still feel like the assumption that you should be able to do all the things is just really murky. Well, and the amount of labor that goes into making those videos. Like, yeah, what if the yeah. baby's cranky and you need I to make know. the dance? You know, I mean, there's just so <laughs> many X factors. We're supposed to watch that video and think that she just happened to catch this totally charming moment with her child. Right. But in fact, she, like, learned a dance routine and figured out how to do it with the music and then edited it afterwards and planned what she was going to wear. And right. It's a lot. It's a lot of yeah. production. Okay. So, for the most part, I try to let my kids eat without being videotaped. <laughs> Like, unless I'm like, we're going to do something for a video. And I like tell them. Right. But the other night I was making dinner and my husband had the girls out of the house. So it was just the little guy and I. And I had made some roasted carrots while the rest of dinner was cooking. And I honestly and truly do not know what made me start filming it. There was nothing about me that was camera ready. I just was like in whatever clothes I was wearing. My hair is kind of a mess. And I started filming it. And it turned into this, like it actually was real. I edited part of it for length because it would have been too long. But I like put the carrots down. I asked Selway if he wanted them. We went through this whole thing where I made the wrong carrots because I cut them into sticks versus circles. And then I sort of like just talked him through the carrot situation as I would in normal life. So I compared the carrots to his crayons because they were sitting on the table. We got out some ketchup. He wound up eating like the whole thing of carrots. And so I shared it on Instagram. It went like kind of nuts. Mm -hmm. 
And I was like about to post it. And I'm like, okay, but now everyone's going to think that my kids eat everything. Right. Like this happened to be a moment that went with this particular way. Right, right, right. I have not happened to catch a moment that went the other way. Mm. And I do think the things I did along the way in that video do show the way I talk about food because I was not claiming that the carrots were going to make him fly. Like I was not like selling health They're messages. They're giving you night vision. Yeah, yeah I, I was that. like, these are really yummy. Like these are mommy's favorite. I'm going to eat them all. But it's like there is this false promise when you see a kid eating something mm-hmm. that you're like, well, my kids should eat that. And if they don't, either I'm failing or my kid's failing. I mean, I posted it and then like it immediately started doing really well. And like, I just was feeling so uncomfortable about it. Because you were worried you were putting out that false expectation. Right. And I tried really hard to clarify it in the caption. Yeah, yeah I think um, it's clear. Because I was very aware of it. But anytime you videotape something, you are taking it out of the context of what it would be like if you didn't have the phone on. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing that we all forget. Like we've talked about what I eat in a day. Yeah. Okay. So if you're videotaping food, it is going to look different than if you didn't videotape food mm-hmm. because you want the food to look a certain way. You're going to mm-hmm. choose something in the beginning that grabs people's attention. You might put it in a different bowl or cup that's going to make people ask a question. Mm-hmm. You're going to do stuff to get people to engage in a way that you would not if you were just like making yourself a bowl of oatmeal. Right. You wouldn't be like, I need to sprinkle something on top of the oatmeal because beige oatmeal doesn't right. actually look that. I'm going to drizzle. like Yeah. Yeah. Um, All and- of that is manufactured. Yeah. And so I think it's really, really hard to remember that when you're looking at videos of food, that there were lots of decisions that were made because people are going to be looking at it that are just a few steps away from like real. Yeah. And the experience of eating it. I am curious to hear more about like what motivated you to start filming. Because I was thinking about like does this line ever get blurry for you? Like, does it feel hard to just be making dinner for your family and not with one part of your brain thinking like, is there content here? Or have you sort of felt like there's times where you're very clear on like, this is work and this is just dinner? I think I go through periods that are better than others. It comes and goes. I think because of the way that Instagram has changed in the past like six months where if you want to be having an account that's growing, you have to be posting a lot of video. And mm-hmm. so I can't really turn that part of my brain off. And so to some extent, I am always like, is this something? We pretty much don't tape anything at dinner. Like I try to do most of it during the day, but that is like always on in my head. Mm-hmm. My phone's usually nearby. So mm-hmm. I can like turn on the camera pretty quick. Right. So Selway had like gone to the freezer, was getting himself a popsicle like completely on his own. And so like I videotaped that because I was like, well, I might use this. I mean, it's hard. Like I, I sort of hate that because it's putting my kids in a position that they didn't ask to be in. Totally. And, you know, they're getting older. And so this is like a temporary phase of their life. But the potential for the number of eyeballs to see my content has drastically changed. And it makes me feel really differently now to think about sharing them. Mm-hmm. But I'm not quite to the place where I feel like I can stop because it does seem so integral to my brand. But it's yeah. like I, I posted that carrot video on TikTok like an hour ago. 
I do not have a lot of TikTok followers and like 30,000 people have already seen it. Damn it. Yeah. Like, you kind of wanted to not do well. So you can know, be like, like, well, that I don't do that anymore. And like my husband and I were having, and this is going to sound weird, but we were having a conversation the other day about like when we go out in public, like we live in a populated area enough where like I've run into people in the grocery store who recognize me. Mm-hmm. And like when you have strangers recognizing your kids, yeah, it's like, yeah, this that's a little weird. It's weird. I don't have an, a good answer for that. And I don't feel like I can really turn off that part of my brain. And I find it to be incredibly difficult to take days off. Yes. yes. Because of the nature of all of, yes. of how connected this all is to my business. Totally. That makes sense. I will say when we were together back in March and we went to Target, I think me and our friend Kate were really hoping we'd be in an Amy reel <laughs> because you were shooting and then you didn't make a Target reel. And, you know, there went my influencer dreams, but whatever. Um, <laughs> I, bought, I bought a really cute fleece. <laughs> I feel like the people needed to know, but <laughs> even, you know, what I'm doing on a very different scale than you, I relate to that sense of like, what do I want to be sharing? You know, and it is true. When I put personal stuff on Instagram. Of course, people want to see your life. They want to engage in that way. And finding that line and constantly redrawing that line is so exhausting and hard to yeah. do. And yeah. yeah, and it makes sense that it's kind of always changing too as your kids get older and their needs change. But I think you do draw some really nice boundaries around their privacy. Like I think not showing their after plates is a really good, clear, bright line you can have. <laughs> because nobody needs to judge how much your kids do and don't eat. Let's talk a little more broadly about how the misunderstanding about the business of making food content plays into diet culture standards. I think those What I Eat in a Day videos are such a good example. I was thinking about a real, I saw Cassie Ho do. She's Blogilates, so she's a fitness influencer, and you know she's a diet influencer, straight up. And she had a real where she started by showing like a beautiful shot of her protein pancakes covered in blueberries with the syrup dripping down them. And then, and it was like, sometimes I eat like this. And then the shot changes and it's her eating canned chicken, plain out of the can and lettuce out of a bag of salad. And she's like, and some days I eat like this. And her message with the video, which I will link to, was that you don't have to always be sort of pulling off this beautifully produced meal. Like she was trying to show that the pancakes are fake and manufactured. But in her case... The thing she chose. Well, when you strip away what makes the pancakes pretty, it turns out she's just eating canned chicken and lettuce because she's living on a really sad, restrictive diet. And so it was very revealing in a way that I don't think she intended Because it was showing that in a lot of this content, this clean eating content, the what I eat in a day content, we're making food look pretty to make up for the fact that it's not very filling or satisfying, which is obviously very different from your recipes, which are delicious and not diet culture content. Well, I think the main thing is that with the assumption that all the food I'm making is food that my kids are eating, like there's like 99% of what my kids eat that nobody ever sees. Mm. And so I'm not like taking videos of them eating their goldfish for snack because like there's nothing 
<laughs> nothing to see there. Just right. goldfish. Like, it looks the same in my house as yours. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I wish my kids ate like your kids eat. I'm like, well, I think they probably do. I wish I was the type of mom as you or like as good of a mom as you. I'm like, this is my job. Right. And like, why are we measuring people's quality as a mom by the food they serve? I know. Like, it's a little more than that. Yeah. Not to reduce what you do, but like, yeah. that isn't your mom work. That's your business. That's right. not what you do as a mom. I think in kids' food, particularly, the thing where it intersects with diet culture is the types of food that we're deciding to show or the types of food that we now expect kids to eat, like which type of crackers you use. Like yesterday, I included goldfish in a lunch picture. And I'm like, how long is it going to take before someone yells at me about the goldfish? Mm -hmm. And it's making those choices. There's a lot of behind-the-scenes thinking that goes along with that. And so I think you really have to try really hard to not be sending those messages. It's hard, too, because it's like you have to decide if you're up for the goldfish fight. Right. But if you don't include the goldfish, then you're upholding the standard you don't agree with. Right. Sort of inadvertently because people are like, well, she's a pretty lady with a kid food account. So I'm assuming that comes with all of this stuff about, right. you know, the good and bad foods and all of that. Here's another example. So I do a lot of content on storing produce or making your produce last longer or like freezing things. And I have like six reusable stasher bags. They're like the fancy silicone ones that come mm -hmm. in colors. I typically use those in videos because they look nice. They are expensive. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like the big ones are like $30 a piece. Oh, wow. I got them for free. Mm-hmm. And again, like I have six of them. I do not have like a whole stash of them. Like you literally see the same ones. <laughs> but a lot of people are like calling me out for using something that's expensive. And I'm like, if I showed a regular Ziploc bag, there mm -hmm. would be a cascade of people complaining about the plastic. Mm -hmm. So like, which is better? <laughs> I <I'd, laughs> But it's you like- You can't win. You right, can't win. but I do think the like showing like the reusable- fancy eco one is also like perpetuating the feeling that like you have to use this mm -hmm. and that like your freezer should be pretty this way yeah or yeah. that this is the only safe option mm. oh interesting because I did have a whole DM with someone where she was like I'm trying to switch to all glass and silicone for my freezer because I'm I need it to be safe for my baby and then I have to explain like which plastic is actually problematic what not to put in plastic, and then all the ways you can use plastic. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, there's the assumptions that are being drawn from those visuals that yeah. that's tricky. Yeah, that is really tricky. I also wanted to talk about, I think putting goldfish in the lunch is a great example. I cheer whenever you do it. <laughs> I cheer whenever you put more than three M&Ms in something. <laughs> As you know, uh, <laughs> we text about it. But I also loved your banana sushi reel. I wanted to talk about that, where you were like, here's this adorable toddler lunch of banana sushi, and this is not how your kid will eat it. <laughs> that was so refreshing. Okay, so banana sushi is where you like put peanut butter or another nut or seed butter on tortilla. You put a banana in the middle, you roll it up and slice it. So they look sort of like spirals. Little they don't, uh, they're cute. Yeah. But so I like made the thing and then I like took one apart with my hands and smushed it all together, acting like I was a toddler. I was like, this is either going to do really well or it's going to look really dumb. <laughs> <laughs> and it 
kids did really well. And I think it's helpful for people to see like, I'm going to make this thing for my kid and they're going to rip it to shreds and maybe eat it. Because mm-hmm. kids are really tactile. And I did not want to make that video and be like, this is an amazing toddler lunch. like, And then just sort of leave it at that. Like I felt like there is no way I could give that to any of my children and they would actually just put it in their mouth. Right, right. I've made the spirals. I've done peanut butter and jelly that way or something. And then watched my children unravel it all. And I'm like, why are you monsters? I know. You're like, why didn't I just make a regular sandwich? (laughs) Why are you not appreciating the adorable aesthetic of the sandwich I made you? You know, it can be fun to do. Occasionally, it has delighted my children when I've made stuff in shapes. I do have some of those little Japanese sandwich cutters that make them in shapes. And my younger one went through a phase where she was enchanted. And then they started coming back not eaten in the lunchbox. And I was like, well... Back to regular, (laughs) regular peanut butter and jelly for you, kid. I'm not going into any extra trouble here. But it does seem really challenging to talk about that honestly with your audience, especially because I feel like influencers are under a lot of pressure to seem, quote, authentic, right? And often that version of authenticity is like not authentic. Yeah, it's like manufactured. It's often like the sort of like mama, I see you showing the chaos without being like, if we had a better society, this would not be so hard. You know, like like continuing to sort of perpetuate the expectation that, of course, motherhood is so hard and you're crumbling all the time without directing the anger that we should have about that. Yeah, I'm trying like when I can, especially with voiceovers, to like be more realistic. Mm-hmm. But you have to do it on purpose. Like this is the other thing. I really have to be intentional or yes. when I'm videotaping something, but it's a little bit against what you would think you need to be doing. There's someone that I follow, Sarah Crawford. She has her accounts are Broma Bakery. And this is so interesting. So she does all baking. She makes a giant mess. And I'm like, at what point did she realize that that was her thing? Because Mm. I doubt if she didn't have her camera on that she would be like playing it up that much. Oh, interesting. Do you think she's making it messier than it has to be? I think she might be. Sarah, we want to know. DM us. Um, she is very good at social media. Like yeah, yeah. She has a whole like program that she sells. Like She's very good at it. But I feel like that's a thing that she's decided yeah. that she's doing, which like kudos to her for figuring it out. But also like it's maybe not real. <laughs> God, it's like none of it's real. It's so fascinating. I feel like the takeaway for those of us who just consume this content is just like keep the lack of reality in mind all the time. I don't know what shifted where... I always knew when I got Bon Appetit magazine or I was reading Real Simple magazine last night, I know none of that is real, right? Like, and maybe that's because I worked in magazines and I saw what went into photo shoots. But I also think you kind of knew that it was not, maybe you didn't know all the tricks that they used to make the food look perfect, but you certainly knew that that was not, well, maybe you don't. I do remember when we used to shoot lifestyle stories together, <laughs> we all being sort of shocked at the first photo shoot when you're like, oh, wait, we're not going to eat the food that we had all these people <laughs> over to be at a fake party. We're shooting a party at our house, but like... You're not actually having a party and taking pictures. Right, right. That it's this like totally manufactured thing. So maybe we didn't even know it about magazines. And that's why we don't know it about social. But I do think we even more don't know it about social We expect that we are seeing what people are really cooking and eating to feed themselves. And A, it creates these unrealistic standards for those of us watching, and it devalues the work that content creators like you are doing. So, Well, I think it also is giving us completely unrealistic expectations for what we 
should be making and feeding our families. Like family dinner should look like a photo shoot every night. Or you should have the baby who is like stuffing all the food into their mouths Mm -hmm. heavily. There's so much comparison that comes out of it that I think really is problematic. It's hard to remember to run it through the filter of your own life. Yeah, agreed. All right. Well, we also had a request from folks on Instagram to talk about maintaining mom friendships, which I think is a lovely topic. Amy and I have been best friends since, how old were we, 22? 23? I think you were 23. We were babies, is the point. (laughs) Maybe I was 23 and you were 22. So it's almost 20 years of being friends now. And the other thing about us is we lived in New York City together for five years. And then the whole rest of our friendship has been long distance. Like you moved to Iowa. I moved to the Hudson Valley. Now you're in Pennsylvania. So we're still like hours apart. And yet... Here we are. So how did we do it, Amy? How are we so great? I think our um, our texting is really the magic glue. It's really the only answer. It's just texting. <laughs> it's like, I've got nothing besides that. Constant texting. I mean, I'm sh- I think obviously it helped that we were working in the same industry. So we were like constantly talking about both work and life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and we have a lot in common because of that. And we've you know, we've often been, I was going to say freelance, but that seems like the wrong word, but like making our own businesses and deciding what to do with our... I was um, freelance for sure. Yeah, You were editors at magazines that kept folding, so it was a little different. Right. And then I learned how to be a freelancer from you. (laughs) We were both figuring it out. (laughs) So I think that had a lot to do with it, but yeah, for sure. Oh, we did... We did email a lot before we started texting. We had these really amazing rainbow t- yes. uh, email threads. That was a pre-kids thing, right? Yep. We couldn't mm-hmm. sustain that. Yeah, we used to write long emails and we would respond like in line and we would change our font colors so you could like keep track of the conversation. I hope our ch- grandchildren discover those emails someday. Those are amazing. They really were. Um, <laughs> I feel like... Yeah, I feel like like, that's like how we planned our weddings. Weddings, I was going to say baby showers. Yeah, all that stuff got planned through that. And then we switched to texting because it was just much more efficient. (laughs) It also helps, I think, we're on similar sleep schedules. So we're both awake early in the morning. You are one of the short, there's like you and two other people I can text at five in the morning and fully expect to respond. (laughs) (laughs) And who won't text me at 10 p.m. because then I'll lose track of the text because I'm asleep. So, yeah. So I don't know, guys. I think texting is the only answer. I don't know how previous generations did it. But I do think keep your mom friends close. They're very important. Mm -hmm. They're key to our survival. So, (laughs) All right. We will wrap up with Butter for Your Burnt Toast. This is our recommendation segment. Amy, what are you recommending? So I recently finished Book Lovers. Oh, that's a good one. It's Emily Henry, right? Yes, Emily Henry. It was delightful read. I was very sad when it was over. My recommendation is also a book, but it's nonfiction. It is our dear friend Kate Teller's book, How ah, to Tell a Story. Yep. I figured this was a good episode to shout it out because Amy and I are both Kate super fans. Um, so, and I'll even link to our very old comfort food podcast episode where Kate came on and we talked about family dinner. Kate Tellers is one of our longtime friends, also from our New York City days. She works for The Moth, the storytelling organization. And they have an incredible new book out about how to tell a story. And 
It is great if you are someone who wants to do oral storytelling. I also got a lot out of it in terms of thinking about writing. It's just a great craft book. It helps you really understand why some people are great storytellers and some people, when they start to tell a story, you just like die inside because you know the anecdote's (laughs) going to take so long and it's going to go on so many tangents and not make sense. And they guide you through the process. So it's wonderful. And I do think like we have to agree that on an anecdotal level, Kate is like the best storyteller. I think we both yep. um, mm-hmm. have. Sometimes in our text messages, it's very funny because she'll just start like halfway through the story and then we're like, but wait. <laughs> Kate, bring us in. We need a lot of backstory. Um, <laughs> yes. She's also on the the group mom text chain and we are regularly brought into car trouble or various <laughs> shenanigans. It's great. <laughs> So the book is excellent, and she's not the only author. There's five co-authors, and they all do a really great job. So I recommend that if you are interested in working on your writing game or your storytelling game or just want to learn more about how stories get made. Okay. Well, thank you, Amy, for coming back. Always a delight to have you on Burnt Toast. I really appreciate it. Tell people where they can find you. I'm at yummytoddlerfood.com or at yummytoddlerfood on all the socials now. (laughs) <laughs> including her TikTok, guys. Get her on TikTok, TikTok. guys. Yeah, that was a decision that um, I did not take lightly, but <laughs> it is what it is now. I'm just watching and dreading, um, dreading maybe having to join you. I'm still on the fence, um, but I'm. I appreciate you blazing the trail for those of us who may or may not follow. Yeah, um, I often just have to cover my eyes if I'm on there. Oh God! Oh God! All right. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing this. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks so much for listening to Burnt Toast. Once again, if you'd like to support the show, please subscribe for free in your podcast player and leave us a rating or a review. And tell a friend, maybe a mom friend, about this episode. And consider a paid subscription to the Burnt Toast newsletter. It's just $5 per month or $50 for the year. You get a ton of cool perks and you keep this an ad and sponsor free space. Find out more at virginiasoulsmith.substack.com. The Burnt Toast Podcast is produced and hosted by me, Virginia Soulsmith. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at the underscore Soulsmith. Our transcripts are edited and formatted by Corinne Fay, who runs at Trade Plus, an Instagram account where you can buy and sell plus-size clothing. The Burnt Toast logo is by Dana Lip. Our theme music is by Jeff Bailey and Chris Maxwell, and Tommy Heron is our audio engineer. Thanks for listening and supporting independent anti-diet journalism. 